following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 729 of I Doubt It. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, scholarly, present, Brittany Page. J- just present. That's all That's all that I get there I mean, at the end. you're here. You're here. Shall I, shall I have uh, uh, anticipated your enthusiasm and said enthusiastic? I, I don't want to speak for you. I, I, all I can say about your mood and your demeanor... Is that you're present? Yes. Well, I did just prepare for the show by doing over seven miles on the Peloton. So there we go. There we go. Is that a? That's like a weird flex, like a humble it's, brag. It's not thing. a weird flex. It's a pretty good flex. Like I a think. leg flex. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I'm proud of my progress. I'm super proud. I have lived a very sedentary lifestyle, as some people know. I. Spent three days in cross country in middle school, and that was because I I did not know that it was running. Lo- long distance running. I had no idea. What could it have been? What could it have been? I don't know. Going cross country to try snacks. I don't know. I was hoping no, I mean, it what, would be something different. What could have? I mean, was it because you had friends that were doing it? I don't even remember. I don't know. But I w- I wanted to give it a try, and then it was just endless running. In and the it, cold, too. It's a nightmare. And it's a fall. Moving into winter sport, it's, yes. a, it's a freezing cold in Idaho. I remember that, too. It what was are you cold. doing? It was a nightmare. It was Well, that's what I'm saying. It this, lasted three days. This was pre-research, Brittany Page. That's the last time I exercised. And now, <laughs> here I am. I remember one time we went hiking, and you thought you were going to die. Yeah, I... It's, it's And I don't mean like we went hiking. I meant we went... Up a trail one time. Yeah. Like, we weren't, like, with gear. It was just, we drove someplace and went to go look at some scenery. Yeah. And uh, you thought you were going to have a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Well, my heart is definitely getting stronger, which is nice. I'm getting stronger. And I feel healthier. I don't get winded as easily when I go upstairs, which is nice. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> I remember one time... A relative came to visit me when I worked on Capitol Hill. Uh-huh. And if you've ever been to the Capitol, a lot of stairs. Yes. Very few elevators. Uh-huh. And she was walking up the stairs with me to a non-public access entrance. Oh, fancy. And that's, well, I, that's a weird flex. That's not a weird flex. I'm <laughs> saying it was like up way up. Yeah. Anyway. We're not a lot of the public could get in. Anyway, Only maybe, secret maybe, pass Maybe people. a flex. Shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I remember her being like having to stop every few steps to rest because <laughs> yeah. it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I was a little worried like, oh, maybe this is this is the end here. And you were like Rocky just going up the stairs, ready to go, used to doing it because it's obviously you had to go in a secret way because you had the special access that the public didn't have. So also, I just got done serving many years in the United States Marine Corps. Is that also a flex? <laughs> 
Goddamn. Yeah, so very, very different we are in terms of our physical capabilities through the years. But I'm turning the corner now. You also have the Fitbit, which gives you... Kathy's going to be real pissed about all this personal information. <laughs> uh, you also have a Fitbit that like tracks it for you. You can look at graphs and shit at your heart health and your... Your rest, your art, your resting heart, heart rate, rate mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, yeah. so it's good. I, I'm listen. I'm super happy for you. Yeah, proud, if you will. If that doesn't sound condescending, mm-hmm. it's a good. It's a good thing. I also have terrible genes, and I learned that I had borderline high cholesterol last time I had blood work done. And so the options for me were basically to start exercising or die early because I'm not going to change my diet. I'm going to continue to eat all the good foods. So, yeah, I, but we don't eat unhealthily. We just, well, we I, just... <laughs> uh, sure. We occasionally eat unhealthily. Yes. Yeah, it happens, but it's not like. Look, when's the last time you ate fast food? And don't say yesterday in and out because that would be true. But that's not <laughs> what I'm talking about. That like how is often true. does it? Ha- it's not often. It's not. It's not. Some often. people. It's a multiple times a week kind of a thing. It's definitely not that. Um, and we do eat pretty well. But I'm saying they were like, stop eating as much meat. You know, incorporate more of this. And so I, I've been trying. I eat oatmeal with blueberries every single morning. <laughs> so there are certain things that I have changed. But I, you know, I have terrible genes. Like I said, everyone dies of cancer by like 50 and I don't want that to happen as 50 comes closer. So uh, <laughs> as it comes closer. So you got a ways are. to go, but well, I do sure, but it'll be here before I know it. You know, trust me. It will. I, I mean, someone, I'm not there yet. I had someone who was uh, saw me heating up my Tupperware, my plastic Tupperware the other day. And they said, are you, are you heating up your plastic Tupperware? I said, um, yeah. And they said, well, you're not supposed to do that because the plastic gets into your food. And I said, well, what is Tupperware supposed to be used for then? And they said storage. (laughs) And I said, is this one of those like cancer concerns? Because if that's the case, I feel like that ship has already sailed. There's already been (laughs) so much groundwork laid that there's going to be just it's it's tough to fight off at this point. Okay. The also, genes are not in my favor. Nobody knows. There's no secret formula. I mean, if you were to eliminate everything that might be carcinogenic, uh, you'd have to seal yourself in a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar. Mm-hmm. Well, I was encouraged to heat up my food at work in glass rather than plastic. And no, my yeah. mind goes, like, that's going to be hot. How do I get it out? This requires a bunch of logistics. What I need to bring, uh, what are those called? Stove pads, like mitts, oven mitts. Yeah, oven mitts, oven mitts. <laughs> stove pads. Uh, Are ho- they- home co- noted home cook, <laughs> Brittany Page. Everybody. Uh, I feel like stove pads is a reasonable guess. We 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 should coin it and market it now. <laughs> Brittany's stove pads. Oh God. So there is another thing we want to talk about today, and that is we are postponing. The Patreon call that was supposed to be this weekend. Right. We didn't technically announce it. Until although, next. Well, it's kind of a thing. Yeah. Until next weekend. Yes, until next weekend. So the calls will now be next Friday, April 2nd at 7 p.m. Los Angeles time. And Saturday, wow. April 3rd at 11 a.m. Los Angeles happening? time. What is <laughs> 
things are off to a strong start, I think. Strong start. I mean, it's only the 729th time we've done this. You would think we'd have our shit together. And by we, I mean you. I clearly mean you. All right. All right. Well, let's get to some listener communication. We have an email, some voicemails. Brittany Page, which direction do we go first? I think we're going to go with voicemails. All right. Um, Talking about the shooting in in Boulder, Colorado... Um, we got a, a couple of voicemails for last show and we decided to push it until this week and then we got a couple more. So, uh, let's talk about this. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Casey from Kentucky. Um, I'm listening to the most recent episode, uh, while I'm at work, unloading all my freight off this truck and, um, they were talking about the mass shooting in Atlanta, you know, and all this. It's what everybody's talking about here at work and. I'm going to try to get through this without getting it as, emotion, as emotional as, as I can. Um, they wanted to blame his actions on, on, on having a bad day and having addiction problems. Um, I am currently eight years plus uh, sober from uh, heroin and opiates. And, you know, during that time where I was using, I had a lot of bad days. And I had a lot of uh, a lot of struggles. Never, not once, did I ever hurt anybody. I never stole from anyone. Uh, I never, I never did any of that. I never got the the feeling to pick a gun up and, you know, unload a couple clips in public. The fact that this is where we're gravitating towards—that, you know, oh, you have this problem, so excuses. Every one of your fucking actions is ridiculous. Uh, at, at what point are we going to start taking some fucking accountability? Um, this man went and shot up, uh, what is it, a salon of some kind, a massage parlor, or whatever it was, went and shot this place up, not because he had a sex addiction, not because he had a bad day, but because he was a fucking piece of shit, a terrible fucking human. I'm not even going to say his fucking name. That's what he wants. That's what all these fucking twats want. Uh, but but the fact that the media uh, and these police sit back and say it's because of addiction, they obviously know nothing the fuck about addicts. Very, very obviously. I know some people strung out on some hard shit. Never not once went out in public and unloaded a clip. Never had the feeling, never talked about it. It's ridiculous. Um we talk about moving the conversation forward. Let's let's move the conversation forward on this. Just because you have an addiction, just because you have a bad day, it doesn't give you a fucking excuse to do anything that this piece of shit did. Um, I'm coming up on three minutes. I'm going to go ahead and cut it short. Uh, keep doing what y'all do. Uh, I love the show. Have a great one. So obviously that one wasn't about uh, Boulder, Colorado, but uh, the, the point is still as salient as, as it would have been. Mm-hmm. There is this rush to, and some might say that it's it's not excuse making, but it's it's given a putting a reason on it, trying to color it with the reason. But still, if you're if you're giving the reason as as um, leaning on addiction or the bad day thing, I agree with Casey. Well, and there's a lot of rush to explain behaviors that people don't understand or that they're afraid of, and. I think people want this this quick answer 
to why this is happening because it's scary. And so even with the Colorado shooting suspect, there's now this rush to, well, he has a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're, you're seeing that that narrative come across. And it's not as though no one, like it's not possible for someone who struggles with addiction or who has been diagnosed with a mental illness would do this. I don't think that's the argument, that it's impossible. Like that doesn't happen. It, it does happen. But what we're talking about is causality. Does the mental illness cause people to do this? And in 2018, the FBI released a report that studied active shootings from 2000 to 2013. And they found that the perpetrators' behaviors uh, before the attacks, in only a quarter of the cases, could the agency verify that an active shooter had been diagnosed with a mental illness mm. from 2000 to 2013. Only a quarter. And only three had been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder. So you're talking about people who want to paint with a broad brush and say, this is mental illness. Well, the numbers, they don't support that. Yeah, and we've had uh, Dr. Alan Francis on the show a couple of different times um, who co-authored the DSM-4, I believe, the DSM-4, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he talks a lot about the fact that if you have a mental illness, you're far more likely to be victimized yourself than to victimize others. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just, I, I don't know. I, I understand the, the anger and the frustration that Casey feels about that because the media rushed to put a, to put a, a, a definition on this mm-hmm. to try to explain it. It's, it's, um, pr- it's premature. Right. Well, and if a mental health diagnosis was a predictor of violence, we would be seeing way more violence yeah, than sure. we're currently seeing. So... I mean, it just it doesn't add up when people make this argument. And I want to give credit to Casey for sharing his story and also for um, his recovery program that he's working, which obviously seems to be doing very well for him. And we're, we're so happy to hear that he is in a good place in his sobriety and in his recovery. And keep it going, Casey. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, on uh, Casey did mention. On the topic, uh, Casey did mention about naming the shooters. Mm. That's what this next call covers. Hey, how you guys doing? This is uh, Harris calling from Alaska here. Um, wanted to respond to your last episode where you're talking about the uh, the shooter that uh, went to the Todd Parlor and uh, killed the uh, Asian women and a few others. So... Um, what I kind of want to respond to was the notion of not identifying the individual's name who committed these acts. And I agree. I completely agree with this. And a lot of people disagree with me on another fact that we really shouldn't be identifying the name of any terrorist, foreign, foreign or domestic, in my opinion, because by doing so, we're giving them as as well as their um, supporters and sympathizers, free marketing. I mean, if you're broadcasting on CNN, oh, uh, this group committed this act or another group committed this act, you're giving them free marketing. So why would you do that? I mean, yeah, it just just doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've just never understood that concept of uh, throwing – throwing the names out there. I mean, because that, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anything. And if more than anything, is 
it's allowing that person to get their name recognized, which they want. So stop giving terrorists what they want and just shut it down completely. I don't know, that's just my opinion there, but uh, you guys are doing a great job. Thanks for the hard work. Hard work. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you for that recognition. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that it it, it is a, a relatively slippery slope, if you will, of not reporting it at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I mean, it needs to be public. It, it is public record information. Right. If someone goes in and commits um, a crime like this. It just, it, you know, so murder somebody, if somebody assaults somebody... That's part of the public record. Mm-hmm. So, but but publicizing it is a completely different thing than than having it available to the public. Right. It's just it's two different things. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. Again, I feel like when the shooting happened in the Atlanta area, you said that you didn't see that shooter's name and face around the internet as much as I felt that I did. Is that yeah? Correct? I think it was me being out of out of the loop. That was a, a a bad sleep time for me. So oh, you know, yes, it could have been that. But <laughs> but since then, for sure, I've seen his face. This new guy, I for sure seen his face. Yesterday, there, every he's in court, and then uh, any any new thing that they find out, his his face is right there, like in a split screen with his name, and it's just unnecessary. Interesting. It, 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 not only that, maybe damaging. Well, this is. <laughs> This is interesting because I was going to say I haven't seen this guy as much. And then I'm sitting here realizing, here I go, trying to generalize my experience. Like, the first guy, I saw him everywhere. This guy, I haven't seen him anywhere. And it's because I've been busy the past few days. Yeah, well, remember last night when you it, when the thing happened that I just mentioned. Yeah. The split screen where yes. there was going to be the presser with the sheriff. Yeah. And then... um there is his face, and you go, "Oh, that's him. That's what he." So you hadn't seen him. I hadn't. Oh, that's what he looks like until him. Yeah. last night. Yeah, because I've had the TV on, and it's for sure on a goddamn loop. Yeah. So it just it doesn't serve the greater good. Yeah. It just doesn't because other people are watching. They have machinations. Oh, this is something I could do. And listen, obviously, I have zero idea to connect these two shootings. But isn't it a coincidence that we haven't seen a shooting in all of 2020 like this? Mm-hmm. And then after the Atlanta, within days, we have the Boulder, Colorado one. Mm-hmm. After this one was was televised over and over and over and over, ad nauseum talked about, mm-hmm. we have the other one. Right. It, they kind of feed on each other, it seems. Obviously, just talking out of my ass, but it seems like a coincidence well, and going back to Casey's call about people searching for these explanations for why these things happen and people trying to blame mental illness, in most of these cases, the shooters are young and male. And that's been the case with these last two shootings. And so why aren't like mentally ill women doing this if it's mental illness that's the primary right. motivating factor? I mean, people really need to kind of stop and like think through these arguments and really ask themselves these questions before they go online and start blaming mental illness for mass shootings because it's irresponsible. And all it takes is a little bit of reading and there's other factors that we should be looking to, but they're more difficult for people to deal with, like access to guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Racism, misogyny. I mean, these are the things that people <laughs> are trying to avoid when they blame mental illness. Yeah, because then it it shines a light maybe on the, 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 the similar beliefs that they may hold. 
Or it's more difficult to do something about it because, as as Ted Cruz said, every time there's one of these mass shootings, isn't that what he said? Yes. That the Democrats are talking about gun control. Right. Well, yeah. What, I mean, what? Why would that be? I yeah. wonder why. And listen. So it's easier to blame mental illness than have the Republicans talk about access to guns. At least this time, they. I didn't hear. We need time to heal here. Let's not rush to politicize this. I didn't, I didn't hear, hear that. that either. That's interesting. So maybe we're the, just the two idiots who didn't hear it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it could be. We're like, we didn't hear it. It didn't happen. Right. Like all those people who are like, the news isn't covering this. So have you watched the news lately? No. <laughs> right. Or they'll share share the article from the New York Times. Yeah. Bemoaning the fact that the media is not covering this issue. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, same to- topic. Uh, let's go to John in Maine. Hi, guys. It's John from Maine. I just wanted to ask your opinion on whether or not the shooter from Boulder's uh, name should even be made public, or really any shooter's name should be made public. Uh, because I'm personally in the opinion that it shouldn't be. Uh, he's a pathetic, worthless nobody that thought he could get attention and notoriety by killing people. Um, and I just I don't think, I don't like the way a lot of the media like focuses a lot of attention on him. I think it leads to future mass shooters that follow his doctrine, deifying him and, you know, uh, doing going and doing the same thing that he did. I think it I think it gives motivation to other mass shooters, and I I think we should just you know lock him up and let him rot in prison like the worthless loser that he is. All of our attention should be on his victims. I don't care why the hell he did it. I know part of it was to get attention, and because he you felt you wasn't getting the attention he deserved, and he thought if he could kill people, he would get the attention he wanted. Uh, you know, oh, that's, that's all these dipshits think they can get famous by killing people. And as I said, when they do, it only motivates future mass shooters. Anyway, uh, rant over. I'm um, just curious about your opinion on that. Um, love the show. Keep up the great work. Bye. Well, if I was a better podcaster, broadcaster, mm-hmm. professional, I would have ordered these calls differently. Oh. So we could have addressed it, and then the other ones that we would have... Anyway, we didn't do that, though. So, um, obviously, we've, we've stated how we feel about it. This did bring to mind, though, about the focus on the victims. Hmm. And that is something I've seen a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I don't watch, like, this panoply of different news outlets. It's really uh, a handful, just two or three... But I have seen a lot more the faces and the names of the victims on screen being talked about a lot more than normal, which I do think is a good thing. I think that started or I started to see it more with Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And every year, I think Jake Tapper tweets every single person's name and uh, picture that was killed in the Sandy Hook shooting. I think that's kind of, for me, when I started noticing more of a turn toward focusing on on the victims. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to have kind of the effect of, like, if you're getting ready to be taken hostage or or you're a kidnapped victim and you start talking about, I have kids, these are the, the you try to humanize yourself. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it'll have that kind of a, um, a ripple effect for potential shooters who mm-hmm. see, oh, there's real effect to this. It's not just 10 dead. Yeah. It's, oh, that was Mary Smith and Gary Johnson and who met, you know, the name, their actual names and the peoples and their families and their, 
it, it puts a name and a face to the to the, the the horrendous act of violence. Well, you're hitting on something important too, because in that FBI report, they found that in 77 percent of cases, the attack was being planned for at least a week, which yeah. kind of goes against that narrative of shooters simply snapping. And you saw the cop in the Atlanta area saying that about the shooter that had a bad day. Yeah, right? yeah, he had yeah. a bad day and this is what he did. Almost speaking into reality that he somehow just snapped one day rather than was planning this out. And we don't know yet, I guess, right? We don't know for sure if he was planning it. But based on these numbers in this FBI report, most people plan it. So if that is the case that you're placing more emphasis on victims and how lives are permanently altered in the aftermath of shootings and people are watching that and in the process of planning something or thinking about planning something, maybe it would have an impact. It would be interesting to know. Uh, anyway, thanks, everybody. I think we have an email. But before we do that, let me drop the phone number, 657-464-7609. You can also email a voice memo to idoubtit.dollamore.com uh, or, Brittany, with your goofy making fun of me face, good times. Uh, or you can email a regular email like this person did. Again, I doubt it at idoubtit.dollamore.com. Brittany and Jesse. Hope all is well. Glad to hear a much more upbeat Jesse on the last podcast. Little shout out for Jesse D there. So I'm here to discuss how Tucker Carlson has achieved Mitch McConnell's neck at such a young age. <laughs> wow. Wow. Wait, no. Filibuster. That's what it was. So the filibuster <laughs> being currently what it is will cause huge problems in getting legislative change. There are a lot of important bills the House is currently working on that I fear will be squashed by the filibuster's current format. What changes would the two of you make to it besides full elimination of it? Reason I put it like that is because I don't really see it being able to be dismantled with certain Democrats. Also, is there anything the party can do to force the hands of those who disagree to changing it? It's going to be damaging to any agenda we want to see done. Personally, I don't give a damn about Mitchie Poo's scorched earth speech because he has been doing that anyway for the last four years. Love the three of you. Keep producing the great content, be it the podcast or the YouTube channel. Chris Reed. Chris Reed. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. Um, they asked a specific question, which is, other than just nuking it all together, what would be? And the thing that they're talking about right now is to eliminate the non-talking filibuster. To bring back the actual, like, Mr. Smith goes to Washington filibuster, where you got to stand your ass out there and, and, and talk and talk and talk until you collapse. And then once you're done... Debate has ceased and a vote can take place. Mm -hmm. That's what they need to do if they can't get these two wild obstructionist assholes, Joe Manchin and Kirsten, uh, uh, um, is it Kirsten or Christian um, Cinema? I don't know. The Arizona lady. Uh, Who who gave the thumbs down. With her cutesy (laughs) little curtsy. Yes. Anyway... That's, I think, really the only thing that, that that is going to have an effect if they can't get rid of it altogether is bringing back the old way of doing it where you, you're you also going to be the face of it. Because now you can just threaten the filibuster. You can threaten, because what a filibuster is, what cloture is, it's a vote to vote on whether or not you can vote on it. It's whether to end debate. Because there's just... Unlimited debate in the Senate, unless there's a vote to end it. Mm -hmm. So it's a vote to vote. 
And if Ted Cruz or Rand Paul, they threaten a filibuster, well, then they know they don't have 60 votes to end debate. They can't vote on it. But if they have to actually go out there on the floor of the Senate and, and, and give a speech for 10 or 12 or 15 or however many hours, they will be the face of obstruction. And there will be far fewer people who were one willing to actually go through the physical effort of doing the filibustering and two willing to put their fucking name on it. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. It might be enough short of getting rid of it all. It might be enough to change how shit's go- shit goes down. Well, and according to reporting from Politico, Biden and other top White House officials, they have been repeating these talking points about any change in the filibuster being up to the senators. But behind behind the scenes, there's fears that he's not going to be able to get done what he needs to get done. And they're trying to figure out how to best approach the issue. According to this reporting, those talks have partially focused on Manchin's demonstrated ability to gum up the works, delaying, for example, the vote on the Senate's COVID relief package last month for hours while demanding changes and one of the things that they're discussing is whether the administration could reform or eliminate the filibuster but only on certain issues so like the the voting rights bill yeah or or anything civil rights related also yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, i mean again what republican wants to put their name on not being a part i mean who knows what the answer is but if you put it in terms of that okay yeah you still want to do your Um, these certain issues, that's fine, but we're not going to get in the way of civil rights reforms. We're not going to get in the way of voter uh, voting rights. I mean, those are fundamental to our democracy. Well, and you say that, but the (laughs) COVID relief package had more than 70% approval in various polls. Yeah. And it passed without one Republican vote. And so, I mean, logically speaking, you would think, well, what Republican wouldn't want to support something that has over 40% of support from the American public. Well, well let's answer yeah, that question. For sure. <laughs> I mean, why Why don't they want to do that? Well, because they are uh, opposed to civil rights. They are opposed to ex- expanding voting rights. They're opposed right. to that. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, should, I should have thought before. Opposed to providing support for Americans as they endure one full year of a pandemic. Ugh. All right. Moving on, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about this a lot more and a question that was posed to Joe Biden on Thursday from Caitlin Collins from CNN. I Doubt It is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters. New. James P. James P. Robert J. Robert J. And Christopher C. Christopher C. We also want to give a shout out to the listeners who have sent in their looking forward voice memos. There have been a few. What is that, you may ask? Well, Carissa, longtime supporter of the show, longtime listener of the show, gave us a beautiful... Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Gave us a beautiful idea for people to call in with things that they are looking forward to as the pandemic comes to an end and we are able to return to whatever normal is going to look like going forward. So what are you looking forward to? 
we want to make it a positive, uplifting show similar to the Thanksgiving episodes that we have done in the past. So please record a voice memo and send it to idoubtit at dollamore.com, preferably in a quiet environment and not while driving, maybe would be good. Just a tip, just a little tip for everybody. Right. Keep keep your eye on the road is what Brittany's trying to say. I'm saying it sounds like shit, so don't do that. Well, okay, sure. We We have different concerns. So... Be sure to get those in. We've gotten a few, and we are hopeful that we will get enough to create an episode for you guys. So 657-464-7609 is the number, or send a voice memo to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Absolutely. We love you guys. We appreciate all of your support. Uh, It means so much. Dollamocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, as I previously mentioned, Caitlin Collins at uh, Joe Biden's presser asked a question. This was his first press conference, right? Uh, first, I think, formal press conference where he's actually answered questions. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, let me say this. There's a lot of talk about uh, Joe Biden's senility and... Well, from who? Well, from <laughs> far lefties and then everybody... Uh, who's a Republican? Yeah. So if you're out there and you're like, oh, Joe Biden's brain is melting and you you consider yourself a liberal or a leftist, all you're doing is is sharing an opinion of fucking Tucker Carlson. So congratulations. Because, listen, nice. I watched it. <laughs> is he slower paced? Yes, he is. Of course, he's a 78 year old man. But is he is, is he suffering from dementia? It wasn't on 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 display here. He's a little slower. Not as quick, but he's answering the questions. He's 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 intertwining concepts. He's he's not cognitive into cognitive decline. Come on. Well, listen. Until Chris Wallace gives him a cognitive test on a Fox News interview, I won't know what to think. <laughs> so, I'm kidding. Please. So anyway, <laughs> don't send emails. Caitlin Collins asked a question about this. This topic, the filibuster, especially related to civil rights. And um, I'm not going to say it was gotcha. Cause he, I mean, if you, if you, if you can walk, if you can get trapped, if you can walk into a trap from a, a reporter when you're president of the United States, then you deserve the gotcha question. It's also, it's not a gotcha question. It is a very yeah. beautifully constructed question in order to get at the heart of what his position actually is. It's to force his hand. Is it a gotcha question? I don't think so. I think it was just well-crafted to but get him there. What I'm saying is she asks the question or says, blah, 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 do you agree? And then asks the question and there's like a five or six second, like, oh shit, how yeah. do I answer this? Right. So listen to this, then we're going to talk about it. It's revolving around the filibuster in civil rights. At John Lewis's funeral, President Barack Obama said he believed the filibuster was a relic of the Jim Crow era. Do you agree? Yes. If not, why not abolish it if it's a relic of the Jim Crow era? Yikes. Successful electoral politics is the art of the possible. Let's figure out how we can get this done and move in the direction of significantly changing the abuse of even the filibuster rule first. It's been abused from the time it came into being by an extreme way in the last 20 years. Let's deal with the abuse first. It's not 
like you're moving closer to eliminating the filibuster. Is that correct? I answered your question. You- Adds a cop out at the end there. Yeah. You didn't answer the question. Because if it's civil rights on the table, if it's voting rights on the table, if it's like it is with the, with the, with the budget, you can't filibuster the budget. There are certain things that are too important to allow the minority who didn't win the election to control the narrative. And that is what this is all about. It's that Democrats won the election in the House, in the Senate, and in the White House. It is a mandate from the American people to get shit done. And to allow the minority in the Senate to hold hostage the agenda of of the president and the Democrats in Congress is a dereliction of duty. To allow people who lost the election, the American people said, no, we don't agree with your viewpoint. We don't agree with your agenda. To allow them to not allow the mandate to take place is undemocratic. Well, and like this reporting from Politico suggests, I know he didn't answer Caitlin Collins's question, but according to White House aides behind the scenes, it appears that he's starting to realize that without moving forward with some sort of filibuster reform, he's not going to be able to get his agenda through. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so that seems to be something that is forcing his hand. He used to be a hard no no filibuster right, reform right, right. and now he's starting to see okay well maybe we're not going to be able to get what we need done here and we're going to have to do it it's like he's had his eyes closed at how mitch mcconnell like mitch mcconnell's thing um i think chris said it in the email that uh, about his neck no yeah that too but about about um the scorched earth is how Mitch McConnell has governed and run run the Senate mm-hmm. for years. So why would I mean? It's like Joe Biden didn't have his eyes open then, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't define what Mitch McConnell was doing, how he was behaving, how he was doing his job. Mm-hmm. He doesn't define that as scorched earth because that's sure as fuck what it was. Yeah, well, maybe it's the too much emphasis on reaching across the aisle. My good and- friend from uh, Kentucky. Yeah, and not really seeing reality on reality's terms. Yeah, not yeah. great. So listen, this is one of the things we're going to talk about right now. This is one of the things that is on the chopping block. Georgia just signed into law a sweeping voter suppression bill that is going to affect the outcome of future elections in a way that only a federal voting rights act bill is going to be able to curtail the state of georgia has just overnight passed a new law that really attacks a key tenant of american democracy that is the right to vote for everyone equally critics say a series of new voting restrictions just passed into law and signed by the governor In the battleground state are a clear attempt, they say, to suppress ballot access. Republicans say otherwise. Here is what it does. It limits the use of ballot drop boxes uh, to only being inside early voting locations and only there and open during voting hours. 
It imposes new voter ID requirements for absentee ballots. It grants state officials the ability to replace local election officials. And it makes it a crime, a misdemeanor, to just give someone waiting in line to vote anything to drink, any water or any food. Now, a lawsuit has already been filed on behalf of three civil rights groups over it, arguing it violates the First Amendment. But this bill was signed into law by the governor behind closed doors last night. And a state lawmaker is now facing two felony charges after she was arrested for just knocking repeatedly on the governor's door, calling for transparency. Watch this. Yeah, you said you give her one more time, like you're gonna do something. Are you serious? No, you are not. Represent. She's not. Why are y'all arresting her? Why are you arresting her? Why are you arresting her? Can you cite the code? Joining me now is our Diane Gallagher. Greg Bluestein is also here, a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, we'll get to that arrest in, in a moment because I think it's stunning for so many people to see. But, Diane, can you explain in the simplest terms um, what this means for voters in Georgia? I mean, look, SB 202, which is now law in Georgia, effectively changes elections uh, from top to bottom at almost every level in the state of Georgia. And look, a lot of the components of this law that have been focused on are those that would restrict ballot access in some way, specifically for a disproportionate number of voters of color and low-income voters here in the state of Georgia. And so, look, we talk about adding ID requirements for voting absentee instead of signature match, which which is what the state of Georgia used beforehand. drop boxes, limiting them to be inside voting locations and only during voting hours, codifying that into law at this point in the state of Georgia. But look, there are also other components here that have more of a broad reaching aspect to it. And some of that is just uh, control that the state has given itself now over local election management. And by meaning that they have taken the authority of the Secretary of State away from the State Board of Elections. He was no longer going to be the chair of the State Board of elections. And instead, it will be somebody that is appointed by these elected legislators. And so there's this appearance, at least, that you have elected officials who have control over the state election board, which has control over local election officials so much that they can replace them if they don't like how they're doing things. And look, we heard a lot about this in 2020 from former President Trump and his allies sort of perpetuating that big lie, but focusing a lot on counties like here in Fulton County and other diverse Democratic counties in the state of Georgia and zeroing in on those election officials. And this gives really partisan legislators more power at the state level over those local officials. The last thing she's talking about there, for me, are the most telling of exactly what they wanted to do. That, that what they wanted to accomplish. It's that if you have uh, a, a voting officials in Fulton County, in counties that are primarily or largely um, occupied by black people, and you don't like the way that their voting officials are, are behaving, the state legislature, which is overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly Republican, they can control what goes on. Mm-hmm. Because you've got many districts throughout the, the, the state, 
both Senate and representative districts, and they're all over rural, the rural area. Mm -hmm. So you've only got a few districts in the large, highly populated counties, and they're going to get run over. They're going to get run by the legislature. The other point of this, and we're going to we're going I'm going to play a clip from a couple weeks ago. I think a couple weeks ago from Stacey Abrams on with Jake Tapper, where she makes an awesome point that just a few months, just a three months ago, two months ago, both Brad Kemp and Brad Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp, Brian, what did I say Brad Kemp, yeah, Brad and, Brad Kemp, and and. Oh, no, I, I think s- you were just calling them both Brad. Yeah, Brad, they're both Brad. Yeah. Fucking Brad's. A <laughs> couple of Chad's. <laughs> so, um, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger both stressed after the election, no. The election was not fraudulent. It was strong, it was secure, it was trustworthy. So trustworthy that the legislator immediately goes into session and and passes this sweeping Jim Crow style bill to curtail the vote of black Georgians. Well, in a statement on Thursday, Brian Kemp said that he drafted the bill. It started right after the 2020 election. He said, quote, we quickly began working with the House and the Senate on further reforms to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. The bill I signed into law does just that. I mean, what a remarkable example of gaslighting. Yeah, and while he's signing the bill, a, 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 a female, a black woman state legislator is arrested charged with two felonies for knocking on the governor's door. Mm-hmm. She wasn't breaking it down. She wasn't kicking it in. She was knocking normally. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you have your fist in the air and you're knocking in the air, but unfortunately you're not on video, so no one can see you doing that. But when you paused, wow. that's what you were doing. You were doing how, how the about knock, this? How about knock. this? If I knock now, Popeye's going to bark. So. <laughs> we won't be able to get him to stop. Yeah, that will. So I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really want to, though. No, he's don't over do there it. asleep. Yeah, so, he's asleep. So here's Stacey Abrams with Jake Tapper. Uh, uh, really, who is the the seminal expert in this area, especially in the state of Georgia? Republican state lawmakers in your home state, Georgia, have introduced almost two dozen bills to make it more difficult to vote. They are going to end no-excuse mail-in voting, which has been there since 2005. They're going to reduce voting on Sundays, uh, ask for stricter ID requirements, take away drop boxes. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in D.C., he called this effort by Georgia Republicans, quote, racist, plain and simple, unquote. Do you agree? Uh, And is there any way for Democrats to stop these efforts? Well, first of all, I do absolutely agree that it's racist. It is a redux of Jim Crow uh, in a suit and tie. We know that the only thing that precipitated these changes, it's not that there was a question of security. In fact, the secretary of state and the governor went to great pains to assure America that Georgia's elections were secure. And so the only connection that we can find is that more people of color voted and it changed the outcome of elections in a direction that Republicans do not like. And so instead of celebrating better access and more participation, their response is to try to eliminate access to voting for primarily communities of color. And there's a direct correlation between the usage of drop boxes, the usage of in-person early voting, especially on Sundays, and the use of vote by mail and a direct increase in the number of people of color voting. And in fact, the Secretary of State, uh, Raffensperger, a Republican, has said that he thinks it's Donald Trump uh, insulting the process that led to so many 
Trump voters not turning out for the special elections, thus handing the U.S. Senate to the Democrats. We should point out, of course, it's not just in Georgia. Republicans in 43 states are pushing more than 250 pieces of legislation that would make it more difficult for individuals to vote. They say they're doing this for vote security. Arizona Republican State Representative John Kavanaugh told CNN, quote, there's a fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats value as many people as possible voting, and they're willing to risk fraud. Republicans are more concerned about fraud, so we don't mind putting security measures in that won't let everybody vote. But everybody shouldn't be voting, unquote. What's your reaction when you hear that from a Republican elected official? Well, my reaction when I hear that from any American is that I'm fundamentally disappointed that they misunderstand our democracy. Our system of government demands active participation from citizens to direct the future of our nation. And we should be deeply disappointed in anyone, any American citizen, and certainly anyone who took the oath of office who seeks to restrict access to the right to vote and uses this false predicate of fraud, which we have seen disproven in multiple courts and by the Supreme Court, as well as by the governors and secretaries of state in almost every state, we know that voter fraud did not happen, but we know that voter participation did increase. And we should all be small d democratic in the sense that we should want as many people as possible who are eligible to have a voice in the direction of our nation. If we are willing to invest our dollars, we should be allowed to have a voice in our system. That was the fundamental premise of this nation. And that's why HR1, SR1, and HR4 are such essential pieces of legislation. Because whether it's happening in Georgia, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Kansas, in Iowa, where voter suppression is rearing its head yet again, it is our responsibility to ensure that no matter where you live in the United States of America, the right to vote and the access to that vote is protected. And some people are open about their view that they don't want everyone to vote. You have people like Matt Walsh, uh, yeah. who we've talked about a lot on this show, who works for the Daily Caller, I believe. Daily ben- Wire. Daily Wire. Um, sorry, get them confused with Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, I could think. Today he tweeted, this is a good start, but we need laws that will prevent many more people from voting. A huge swath of the electorate has no business in the voting booth. Testing and other requirements could weed out the most unfit. Le- Actual, legitimate Jim Crow era policies Mm -hmm. he's talking about. Yes. Literacy tests. Literacy tests or Mm -hmm. like the poll. I mean, he's 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 actually advocating not even in dog whistle type terms that not everybody should have access to vote Mm -hmm. and not if you're a criminal. But if if you don't if you can't take a, a civics test well enough. I hate to break it to Matt Walsh, yeah. but it's going to eliminate a lot of Trump voters. He thinks they all have a pocket constitution on them at all times. <laughs> Come on, bro. Yeah, they most definitely do not. I mean, Donald Trump said it himself. He loves the poorly educated. He loves them. And it's just, it's strange to see someone tweeting this. And then he did a follow-up. He says, every time I argue that uninformed voters should be weeded out with testing, I'm accused of racism. But if you call that racist, what you're saying is that you think minorities are uninformed. That's not my view. It's yours, you bigot. My focus isn't race. It's competency. Well, it's interesting that he isn't, uh, he he's safe. As a white male, he's his vote's safe. He's not just talking about competency. 
Of course, he's not talking about competency. Com- competency. He is trolling with that follow-up tweet. That's a troll move. We all know what he's talking about. And this is why, by the way, it's dangerous to platform people like Charles Murray. And Charles Murray is actually writing another book. He's obsessed with the issue the race science. of race science. And he's writing another book about it. He's just dedicated his life to talking about race science. That's yeah. how important this is for him. And then you have people like Matt Walsh who want to play games. We know what he's talking about. And the, you said it perfectly beautifully, Jesse. Perfectly wow. beautifully. Very nice. Um <laughs> <laughs> about how a lot of Donald Trump voters would be prevented from voting if that was the case. So, yeah, listen, voting is it's not something to fucking play coy with. It is the fundamental of a democratic entity such as the United States, any democracy. So get the fuck out of here with this nonsense, this racist claptrap, Brittany. It's claptrap. But it also, so here's where Matt Walsh is not fooling anyone because these restrictions that have been put in place for voting in Georgia are going to uniquely disenfranchise people of color when it comes to voting. Yeah. And that is what the target is. It was by design. It's by design. Yeah. So when Because he- listen, hang on. One more thing. The reason it's by design and some of the reason we know it's by design is that In 2005, the Republican legislature of Georgia passed no-excuse mail-in ballots. You don't need a reason. Just request a mail-in ballot, you'll get one. In 2005, the Republicans did that. This election, because Donald Trump choked off any enthusiasm for mail-in voting in, in the Republican base, they lost, and they lost big. So then it's, oh shit, we have to reverse what we thought was so great in 2005 because it worked against us politically. Because it is a fundamental of democracy that the more people that vote, the better our government is. So, yes, the main point being when Matt Walsh retweets news of Georgia Republican governor puts restrictions on voting in the state of Georgia and says, yes, this should this should actually go further. We're not doing enough to restrict voting. I am in favor of this and I'm in favor of doing it more we know what he's saying yeah. because we know where these restrictions are targeted. It's also almost like a, well, be happy it's not more. I believe it should be even farther, more restrictive. Be glad that it's only that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, wow, it could be so much worse. Mm-hmm. Not in a democracy. Mm-hmm. Well, he also believes women should be like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And that's... he. It's pretty much said that. Again, he's just a fucking troll. Yeah. But, but... Has a lot of followers, is considered a thought leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not discounting the the the, the import that it carries with it because yeah. he does. People listen to this dipshit. Yes. Ugh. Anyway, I would love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email, uh, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. So up front, we talked a little bit about Biden and the filibuster and his uh, lackluster response to Caitlin Collins. But one thing that I am excited about and that I think seems very promising is the work that they are putting into the infrastructure bill. And remember, it was like infrastructure week for for like 52 weeks. Um, (laughs) Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was... (laughs) 
it was basically a joke that they weren't getting anything done with infrastructure during the Trump administration. And because it was something Democrats would have wholeheartedly jumped on board with. Yeah. It's something they always want to do with our crumb, literally crumbling bridges. Democrats want to take care of the the, the system because also it's an economy booster. It's a job booster. It's just good all around. Yes. So now it looks like infrastructure is the next major legislative priority after the coronavirus relief bill. Turning now to a massive potential new spending push from the Biden administration. We're talking about reports of up to $3 trillion, that's with a T, to be pumped into the U.S. economy. That's if the proposal's backers can get their way on that. Nancy Cordes is at the White House with more on this story. Nancy, good morning to you. Sure seems like a tall order with everything that's going on there these days. Gail, it is a very ambitious plan. And it has to do with infrastructure, the next big item on the Biden agenda. We're told that within the next couple of days, President Biden's economic advisors are going to be briefing him on a proposal that they say will create jobs. And it involves spending about a trillion dollars reportedly on improvements to roads, bridges, even the cellular network. That's the physical infrastructure piece. And then more money would go to investments like free community college, universal pre-K and paid family leave. They call that human infrastructure. So this is a very aggressive plan. And the challenge for Democrats here is that the Senate is so closely split that it's just as hard to push this through without bipartisan support as it is to pass other big priorities for Democrats like immigration reform, gun safety, and voting rights. And in this case, if Democrats try to pay for these infrastructure initiatives with higher taxes on wealthy Americans or corporations, then it's going to be very difficult to pick up any Republican support. Tony. All right, Nancy, thank you very much, too. So Mitch McConnell has expressed that he would not be on board with this and other congressional Republicans. Shocking. How shocking. Yeah, they other congressional Republicans have expressed um, displeasure at the idea of spending more money, increasing taxes, um, using clean energy to combat climate change, you know. Reasonable things. And uh, Mitch McConnell said that uh, a so-called infrastructure proposal may actually be a Trojan horse for massive tax hikes and other job-killing left-wing policies. Mm. So there is some... You know, Mitch McConnell, the guy who loves to get stuff done. There is some hesitancy there. Although this is not for sure. This is something that's being discussed. And um, they're trying to figure out what the final price tag would be, what would actually go into it. But based on this initial reporting, it seems very promising. I like I like the. It's a good start, the free community college. Mm-hmm. Listen, is it where we want to be? No, it's not. Yeah. But it is a, it's a, it would be a great start because really, it's going to be helping people who really need it. Yeah. If your if your choice is community college or regular college and you're having to go with community college, you're you are someone who really needs that help. Well, let me also I don't love the framing um that you had there because Why? Why? Well, if you're someone who is faced with a choice of going to four-year college or community college and you have to go to community college, I think more people should start at community college. It shouldn't be viewed as like, oh, fuck, I have to go to community college. I, that's not how I mean it. I don't mean it like uh, it's either jail or the military. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I'm why saying that- did you raise your voice and growl like that when you said it then? 
With the jail or the military but, thing? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm saying, I'm not saying it like this, blah, blah, blah. But that is how you said it. We it need to roll the tape back. Roll the tape back. There's you no got... way to roll the tape back. <laughs> There's not? We're not on live radio, Brittany. Oh. I don't know how many times I have to tell you. Okay. <laughs> so I I started at community college. And um, I, when I talk to people who started at community college, there is a consensus among us when we compare the education that we received at a community college versus the education that we received at a four-year university. And speaking for myself, it was, solid. It, was it was fantastic. Hands on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like I had more access to professors that I could go and ask them questions, use up more of their time and that they were there to help. And oftentimes it's because they believe in the mission of community colleges. They want to get you to a four-year university. They want to invest the time in you. And they realize that maybe you do come from a disadvantaged background. And so there is kind of this dedication to helping you move forward. I'm not saying they're all like that. That's what I was talking about was the the disadvantaged background. Yeah. Not jail or the military. (laughs) That's not what I was saying. Well, and maybe I'm... I don't like the way you're framing that. (laughs) You took that really personally. <laughs> I, I'm also maybe it is a relic of my love line obsession days where Adam Carolla would call community colleges high schools with ashtrays. Yeah, and I think that that, of course, coming from him who doesn't know a lot about any of this. Mr. In 50 years, we'll all be chicks. Yeah. Moron. <laughs> I mean, God, that, he wrote a book called that. Oh, God. Um, he wrote a book called In 50 Years, We'll All Be Chicks. Right. So so anyway, I, I started at community college, worked my way up to a four-year university, went to grad school. I think that more people need to understand community college isn't this negative thing like, oh, you have to start at community college. It's it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper. You will likely receive more hands-on education. And even though Jesse hates it and thinks that it is wow. terrible, I'm here to say he's wrong. You're either going to jail <laughs> or you're going to the military. <laughs> Um. So anyway, uh, I'm. Are oh, you going to anyway us into a transition to end the show? Well, I'm looking forward to what <laughs> what comes of an ongoing infrastructure week in the Biden administration. It's the asshole of today. Steven Crowder. Steven Crowder. Steven Crowder is just a, a miserable person. Speaking of conservative thought leaders. Sure, I guess. Or does he, he does he fancy himself a comedian or something? I, I don't know what he does, but he really a miserable person. A racist fuck. He's definitely racist, and that's actually what we're gonna be talking about today. This clip went viral on Twitter. And there were several comments about it where people said, this is racist. And then I saw people respond, wow, this was more racist than I was expecting. Yeah. It starts off and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty terrible at yeah. the beginning. I'm like, man, this is racist. And when I when I had you watch it, I was like, just wait. It, it, if you think it can't get worse, it gets fucking worse. Yeah. I don't know where you find this many farmers of color. Uh, but they did, and 5.2 billion are being allocated exclusively for colored farmers. Farmers of color, farmers of color, roll the tape. We begin today's show looking at a major provision in President Biden's 1.9 trillion 
COVID relief bill that aims to address decades of discrimination against black, Hispanic, Native American and Asian American farmers who've historically been excluded from government agricultural programs. The American Rescue mm. Plan sets aside $10.4 billion for agriculture support and allocates... I just want to say, some, someone, I don't think that was Steven Crowder, he has like a gang of... Yeah, there's a team of ding-dongs around him. Yeah, ding-dongs is a good word. I was uh, I was not going to use that Were word. Were you going to say fucking jerk-offs? Because that also is pretty apt. We don't need to get into what I was going to say, but um, I'm glad you saved me. So I... <laughs> The one of the people says receipts on that just kind of casually says that into the microphone. Are you actually interested in that? Because I don't think that's the point of your show. And I I guess this is my issue with Steven Crowder, period, is the people who watch his show like think that he is funny. I think that's primarily why they watch it. And I've talked to people who are fans of Steven Crowder. Okay, so they think he's funny and they do believe he's intelligent as, as actually trying to get somewhere with the things that he's saying. So why wouldn't he use his time and his platform to actually take this issue seriously and actually talk about the discriminatory agricultural lending and subsidy policies that have left uh, black farmers at an economic disadvantage? Like, why wouldn't he actually go into the history of that? Yeah, it, listen, if you listen to uh, 1619, the New York Times, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones her, her piece, her award-winning piece. There's an episode of the podcast where they go into how it affects black farmers and how they can't get lending in certain crops. I think it's sugarcane. The, the cycle of how the crops grow, there's a lending cycle that he just stopped getting loans for or he was getting them way too late and there was no reason for it because he was a very successful farmer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is a thing to... to Say where are the receipts doesn't mean there's not receipts, dick face. Right. Ugh. <laughs> Let's let him continue. Remember, it gets worse. About half the funds to farmers of color who are quote subjected to racial or ethnic prejudice because of their identity what? as members of a group unquote. The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights confirmed as long ago as 1965 the U.S. Department of Agriculture discriminated against black farmers, but little was done to address the problem. hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, most happy about the new policy. These people. So yeah, I'm gonna buy, uh, I'm gonna buy a plow, man. I'm going to plant that corn. Go get a John Deere. Barack Obama, mother. I'm the president of plowing that ass. You. I thought the last thing they would want to do is be farmers. Wasn't that a big problem yeah. for hundreds of years? Yeah. Isn't that why Arsenio yeah. Hall called himself the urban man's Johnny Carson? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Are people, are people lining up out in the middle of Cornfield, Iowa for new dunks? How would you prove this, by the way? Like, how would you prove yeah. that you've been discriminated against? You don't against? have to. You just well, I didn't get that loan. Me. Sir, you had no credit. Well, that should not have stopped me from getting the loan. Uh, I planted a Hennessy tree, <laughs> but it's not growing. Well, I, well, technically, it did grow, but that shit ain't XO. Mm-mm. I put it in the ground. <laughs> I planted a VSOP XO tree. I'm getting into niche esoteric cognac humor, motherfucker. <laughs> Don't um, white people just go to their neighborhoods and build urban farms and ruin their yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what white people do in Detroit? Like, yeah. Turns out the, uh, the, 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 the soil content is a high level of meth. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, Whoa. Wow. I didn't know. That and teeth. There's <laughs> random teeth <laughs> littered and everywhere. Teeth. And uh, by the way, pain in my arugula. <laughs> so what has happened here is that what used to be wildly offensive, straight up neo-Nazi talking points 
and behavior and actions and tone and language is now fucking mainstream conservatism. Mm -hmm. This is mainstream republicanism where people say, oh, yeah, I really think it's funny. I think he's really moving the conversation forward. I think he's really talking about topics that really need uh, uh, a greater focus and emphasis on. Mm -hmm. And this is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. This is racist bullshit on YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel. This is monetized. racist bullshit. Monetized. I don't know if it's monetized anymore. What? His channel? Yeah. I, oh. I think after the last thing, they demonetized his channel permanently. Oh, okay. And good. that was a big problem. Good. But they, he still has a platform. Mm-hmm. He's still selling his mug club or whatever the fuck. Yeah. He's still a reputable figure in conservatism. Mm-hmm. Richard Spencer, not so much. But what's the difference? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between a Richard Spencer... Or someone who writes for the Daily Stormer and this asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't see a difference. Again, what's the difference between Matt Walsh saying not everybody should vote. Mm-hmm. We should have a quiz before you can vote. Mm-hmm. And and what Richard Spencer would believe. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Well, and again, whoever the little troll talking heads that he has there to um, lift him up during the segment... The one who scoffed at 100 years ago. I mean, I just, I don't know why anyone would take these people seriously or waste their time listening to this trash. I mean, someone uh, wrote to us actually and pushed back on our criticism of Jordan Peterson. Um, and ah, we need to do that next. episode. Yeah, we're going to get to that next episode because I, I do want to take time to s- listen to the link that they sent us so that um, I can be prepared to talk about it. But I, I view it in, in similar terms Jordan Peterson Stephen Crowder like why would I listen to people who have demonstrated that they have terrible opinions yeah and they are not arguing in good faith and they're not really interested in educating themselves on important issues that that guy that guy who scoffed at a hundred years like why is he someone that I should pay attention to when he clearly doesn't read he clearly doesn't seek to understand I, I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I don't have interest in wasting my time with that. So it's unfortunate that these people are able to create such profound, significant platforms that influence other people's thinking. That's what's really disturbing and really scary. And th- with that, we will leave you. We love you guys. We would ask that you uh, support the show if you are in a position to do so. If you are not, that is okay. But every little bit goes a long way. And if we are able to marshal the growing size of our audience, two or three or 10% were to give $2 a month or so, it'd be a big deal. Could really change the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. And this has been I Doubt.